Good morning. My name is Tara Garino, and our scripture reading today is found in Mark 8, verses 17 through 26. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Uh, Thank you so much, Tara. Just seeing you here reminds me of how long I've been here. Uh, Tara and I had sort of a divine appointment, don't you think, right out here on the stairs when she was a high school student. And now she's all the way through graduating at Stanford University and is here in graduate school at uh, Thor Theological Seminary. So... I hope to get to see you often, so thank you for reading. Um, We have David with us, and last Friday, on Friday night, we had this great concert, and he sang a song. I'll just tell you, I I thought you needed to hear it. You needed to hear it. Um, He he said that at the church he grew up in, sometimes they had these times where people could just say things or even sing things, and there was one of the women of the church, sort of matriarch of the church, who would just always get up and sing this. Maybe it's because you needed to hear it, Dave. What do you think? What do you think? But I just thought we needed to. So I asked him at the last minute if he would come and see if uh, Dwayne could do something on the piano and listen and see if maybe the Lord might speak to you. So God bless you, David. It's great to have you here. Judgment, you better mind. 
You better mind how you shout. You better mind what you're shouting about. You got to give in a call at the judgment. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind, mind, mind. You got to give in a call at the judgment. You better Now, in case you're wondering why I wanted that song to be sung, I told them, I don't think there's some people here that are minding all that well. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, we're starting this series of messages. It's called uh, Jesus Christ Life Changer. Now, if you're new to church, you may not grasp this, but you need to listen into this. Some of the beautiful parts of uh, the message of the Bible is that we own that we have fallen short of what God would have us to be. The Bible uses the word sin. We've sinned and fallen short of it. But when we come to Jesus, we find out that he has done something that makes it possible for us to be forgiven. You know, he lived that life we should have lived and we haven't. And, and he was willing to die in our place so we don't have to. So when we believe in Jesus, the Bible says God turns to us and he says, you're right with me. Isn't that great? You're right with me. And, and there's, the term is justified. Just as if I'd never sinned, we're declared right with him. But then we keep on living. So something else kicks in. When, we, when you make a commitment to Jesus, he comes into your life and he begins to work through his spirit to change us, actually to have our lives become right. So, so that the things are right in our lives. So the promise is that when Jesus is done with you and me, we're going to be, and the phrase is, conformed to the image of Jesus. Our lives are going to be what they should be. Hallelujah, right? Now, now the question is, and the hard question of this week's text is, why is it taking so long? Do you ever think that? Why, is it th why do I have to have David come up and sing to you, you better mind? Why, why didn't just have poof, our lives become perfect? So the question I, I, I want us to ask today is, why is it taking me so long to get better? By that, I really mean those, those real-to-life questions of, why is it that sometimes I still make bad moral choices? Why do I still let my mind go into places it shouldn't go? So, sometimes why is it that it feels that the way I know God isn't growing as deep as it should? Do you know what I mean by that? That, that it's not, God sometimes seems far away. Why, why is it that sometimes I know he's with me, that I don't know his presence and his power the way it should be? And that's what I want us to think about today. Well, we come to this new series of messages, and I hope you'll be here for a lot of it. I've told David I wanted to come back from New York every week. Wouldn't that be great? But in this middle section of the Gospel of Mark, it runs from chapter 8, verse 22, to, to chapter 10, verse 52. Jesus talks to us himself about these things. He calls us to follow him, and he tells us what it's going to be like to follow him. He'll tell us the cost of following him, and he'll let us know, and we'll see that even those closest to him still had to continue to grow and sometimes continue to have parts of their lives that needed to get better. So, so that's what we're going to be thinking about. And today we come to the very uh, first story in this section. It's a quite well-known story. It's a blind man who's healed, but he's healed in a different way. It takes two stages. There's nothing else like this in the Bible. 
Now, this man who had been blind was physically unable to see. But it makes us think, and if you've been here for the series of messages I've done up to now, uh, we've been seeing that um, people couldn't really see who Jesus was. Remember, as you open the Gospel of Mark, it tells us in the very first verse, Mark 1.1, this is the story about Jesus. And it tells us who he is. He's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. Then in this early part of Mark's Gospel, Jesus does the things that Messiah was supposed to do. And he does the things that only God can do. This miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet by the time we get to this text, people still don't see. Now, he'd done all of these miracles. And, and when you see these things, you would have expected people to say, God is here and there's something about this man I've got to know. But he did the miracles and the people loved having miracles done for them. You know, getting food and healings and things. But they loved the miracles, but not Jesus. See, I still have people tell me, Pastor, if you just had more just overt miracles, then you know all of us would see Jesus and all of us would believe more in Jesus. And my word is, if they didn't back in his day, what makes you think we're all that much different? Because we'll believe in the miracles and we'll want more miracles, but it may be we don't want to surrender our lives to the Lord of the universe who can do them. Do you want what I'm getting at there? So it takes more than miracles to open our eyes. And Jesus did more than miracles. One of the things that he did was he told stories, these parables. And that's another thing that people say to me, Pastor, you know, in our day, people don't just like to listen to people talk. They want to hear stories. If you just told stories all the time, then we'd see it a lot better and we'd know who Jesus is. But, you know, Jesus told story after story and nobody understood him at all. His disciples got frustrated with the stories. They, one time they just said, quit telling these stories. Just talk straight plain to us. Uh, there, there was one woman, a Gentile woman that nobody would have expected to understand the stories. Yeah. The Syrophoenician woman, remember two weeks ago? She understood a story, but almost nobody else did. So that, that brings us to where we come today. Uh, I, I didn't preach. I spent too long in another text. I didn't get to the verse, first 21 verses in Mark 8, but I'll just ask you to read that through. But what happens is after Jesus does this incredible miracle of feeding 4,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, then afterwards his disciples are there. And they look and they see that they only have one loaf of bread. And they think, we're going to starve to death. We don't. And Jesus said, wait a minute. When I was with mostly Jewish people, our people, and, and we only had a few fishes, and a few loaves of bread, and I fed 5,000 people. There was food left. How much was left? Twelve baskets. Well, there's symbolism in that, but I won't go into that right now because we'd be here all day. And he said, just now. Here in the Gentile area, I fed 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few fishes. How much was left? Seven. Don't you see? He said. Do you see? Do you see? And then he goes immediately into a little fisher village called Bethsaida. And he meets a blind man and he heals him. So the story we come to today, when we get there, the people just don't get it. What don't they get? They don't get the magnitude of who Jesus is. Oh, they, they wanted to have him be a good religious teacher. That was safe enough, right? But he was more than that. They didn't mind him doing miracles. They liked him if the miracles brought them something they really wanted to have. But he was going to be that and more than just a miracle worker. Who is he? Who is he? And how do we open our eyes to see more of him?
So that's my prayer. If we see some things in our lives that are not yet all they should be, if we believe that there is a God that sometimes we think there's more to experience than I've experienced before, let's, let's begin to open ourselves up and see what Jesus teaches us. We'll just start today. He teaches us something about seeing with spiritual eyes, about spiritual blindness. Two lessons. I had three, but I knew I'd go too long, so I, I cut it back. Can you believe it? I cut it back to two? But I think they're important ones. What do we learn from this about seeing more of God? And here's the first thing I want you to see. Many times God uses other people. He brings them into our lives. He uses other people to help us see more of himself. I call it learning about God in community with his people. Uh, verse 22, that little verse that we could just read and then just skip right through. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. This, this is at least the second time in the Mark, uh, Gospel of Mark where friends or, or family members had uh, someone, a friend that they uh, loved and was, uh, had, had a problem and they brought them to Jesus. Do you know the other time? It's in Mark chapter 2. Remember the paralyzed, many say a boy, it may have been a boy, whose friends were willing. <laughs> he was paralyzed and couldn't get there himself. So they brought him and took him down through the roof. So this time it's a blind man who can't see how to get in there to Jesus. And his friends bring him up and beg Jesus to heal them. I'll tell you, already when I look at that, I think, okay. Now, I don't know how much these friends of the boy in Mark 2 really knew about Jesus themselves. And I don't know how much these people in, in Mark chapter 8, the friend of the blind man, knew about Jesus themselves, but they knew more than he did. And they had some resources God had given them that they could use to help him out. They, these others, the paralyzed boy and this blind man, they couldn't get to Jesus on their own. And these friends were willing to do whatever needed to be done to get their friend to Jesus. Now, think about this man. He had a disability. And, and you know, a, a disability always has, and I, I'm guessing until the Lord comes and makes it so there are no more disabilities. They always, disabilities always, always bring with them challenges for people. That was especially true in Jesus' day. Because many times when a person had a disability of any kind, people looked at them and said, either that person has sinned or that person's parents have sinned. It was what we call blaming the victim. You know, blaming the victim in our day. And Jesus was trying to set that thing straight, that there are just all sorts of issues that can lead to these sorts of things in that day. But the, he did have something going for him. He had a group of friends who at least knew that Jesus could do miracles and could help him. And they did what was necessary to bring their hurting friend to Jesus. So make note of this. This man would never have met Jesus if his friends had not brought him. God uses people. And that speaks to me in a couple of ways. One, it, it just really speaks to me that when I see anything about Jesus, when I've experienced anything with God, as I really have, and if you have as well, then we have something we need to go out and share with a world that, where people want to live well. I'm telling you. No matter what a person has in their lives, even if they're absolutely atheists, people don't get up in the morning and say, I want to live a rotten, boring, meaningless life today. People don't do that. People are looking for a place to find life. And when you and I are beginning to find what life is about, when we're seeing a little bit more, we have this great privilege of being able to point people to Jesus, tell people about what's beginning to change our lives and 
and beginning to help us to see. Now, I know that sometimes when you talk to people in our society here in Southern California about the church, they'll hold that people are afraid of this institution called the church, especially when you have a big building like this and so many people as we have. But I'm telling you, they'll watch you. They may never come in here. And when they hear that I'm one of those men of the cloth, they, they may hold me at arm's length. But if you're working next to them or you're in the family and you begin having your life show the change Jesus makes and you begin especially showing them personally the love of Jesus, then, then there's an openness to be able to say, let me just tell you what, I'm not pretending I'm perfect yet. Don't try to do that. You'll never live up to that yet. Someday when he's done. Uh, because we're not all minding perfectly here at Lake Avenue Church. That's why I wanted that song. So just let's own that. But I'll, I'll just, I wrote this down for you to see it. So that when you and I have begun to see who Jesus is and experience something with him, when you see people whose life needs a touch from God, I just want you to find the love and the courage to say, I know who can help you. I must bring you to Jesus. Now, you've got to find your own words to do this. If you say, well, that sounds too much like a preacher's words. I, I said to people, oh, what do you expect? I'm a preacher. So you find the words, you know, in the way that you talk with people. Find your words. And, because I see this verse 22 calls us to be Jesus' message bearer to a world, saying he's real. If you don't see him yet, uh, I want to tell you how you can see him. I want you to meet Jesus. So that's one of the things I see already. God gives us the opportunity to help others to see more if we'll have the love and the courage to do it. But then there's something more I want you to see here because it's about our going out and talking about Jesus. But I think it's also talking about what I pray will happen here in the life of our church. Because I think God brings us together in a church family. And as we experience things with God and are willing to talk with one another, we can learn from one another. We can, we can see things, and share, especially when you have a church that really is willing to come together across age generations uh, and actually meet with one another and pray with when you're able to do that. Or, or, or that's unwilling to say, we're going to divide this church by the, if you really like this, go there, and if you like this, go there. No, no, no. The family's going to come together. And as we can get into one another's lives in any way and say, this is what I'm seeing, we'll see something that others don't see. And as we're willing to share, we're able to help people to see more than they otherwise would see. See, the family of our Father is from every tribe, language, and nation. We're not divided from God because of our age or how much education we have. You know this, right? And then He brings us together to help one another see. Now, this just happened to me this past week. I'll just tell you a part of it. Tiffany, my assistant's over here. She can affirm some of this. In a 24-hour period, you know, I met with a couple of church people. And I, do, I did what I always do. When they came in, I started talking about this text. Because it's on my mind, I started talking about it. And then they started talking, and I had to listen a little bit. And I learned. Uh, what did I learn? I know I've been in school forever, but I still have so much more that I need to see. The, the first person that came in was Bobby Brooks. Do any of you know Bobby? <laughs> She usually comes Saturday night, and she often teaches our children. Uh, Bobby has walked with Jesus even longer than I have. So there, there's something. And then second, Bobby, if you saw her, I mean, just with the, our physical eyes, the things that we see, Bobby, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll put it this way. She has a skin color that is a much more vibrant hue than my own. By that I mean. 
as she's lived here in, in this world, her experience of living for Jesus, which is a long experience, is different from mine as a um, majority, that's what I'm called, majority person white male. All right, so we began talking about this text, and she began helping to me to see something. One of the things she said to me was this, that there are certain things about Jesus revealed in these texts that sometimes are just hard for us to believe. Like that he will be as merciful to us when we simply come to him, as the Bible consistently says. That, that people who mocked him and spat upon him, that he will be merciful and even be willing to die in our place even when we've been reject him. She said, Pastor, isn't that some, that's something in my life that I've ne- never seen this way in this world? That, that people are, who have power are willing to show mercy with their power. And then she said, and pastor, you know, if you and I look inside ourselves, we may not see all that much mercy in us either. And then she and I, in talking about it, began to just recognize that sometimes we'll read something about Jesus here. And even though it's hard for us to believe that Jesus will show mercy, we just trust that he is who he says he is. Because she said to me, you know that if we'd been there and some unjust, powerful person would be spitting on us and hitting us like Jesus did, we probably wouldn't say, Father, forgive him. We'd say, where are those legions of angels? Come down and take care of this man. I'll tell you, as I talked with Bobby, I saw more. You know what? It made me love Jesus more. Made me stand more in awe of him. See, God brings us into one another's lives so we can see more than we would see on our own. Or then, just a little bit later, I had Brian Mayer. Brian may be here, though he was in the church last night. He said that I said he said more than he said, but this is close to what I think he said. You know that Brian is a part of a generation much younger than my own. So we were talking about this matter of blindness, and then he began pointing out a little bit of how it was the religious leaders who were kind of the power people, Uh, who were the blindest to Jesus. And that they thought they had it all right. I mean, they did all the traditions. They did all the stuff that religious people say you should do. But in doing all that, they focused on those things. So much so that they were doing all the religious things. And and the one to whom all that pointed was standing right there in front of him. And they didn't see who he was. I began feeling uncomfortable about that. I said, is it possible... That I, as with this great job title, a senior pastor of a great church, and we can get involved in doing all the stuff that you do in a church. And I said, or uh, uh, doing all the things that we say a person should do just to keep the church going. Could end up focusing on that. So that if there's something Jesus wants to do, we may close our eyes. Is that possible? And Brian said something like, I don't even want to get into that. We'll be here all day if we get into talk." <laughs> But we began thinking about what if we saw people the way Jesus did in our community? What if we really, during this next month, would look at kids who want to get out of gangs, people who want to get freedom from drugs, and really entered into, really had the courage to enter into a relationship and pray, knowing that the power of God is enough to set people free from addictions and to give people a new life. Do we believe that? 
what, what if we really did that and touched lives and prayed for God's healing? I'm just telling you, Brian was making me see more from God's word and about God than I would have seen without that meeting. And then just a few minutes later, Tiffany said, off to lunch. So then I had lunch with Dr. Ken Lamb. Ken may be here today, but do you know him? Ken probably, he may be younger than I am, but I think uh, he and I are from the same generation. Uh, He grew up in Hong Kong, though, and he's a physician. So the experiences he's had in life are different from my own. Once again, we began talking about this, and he mentioned to me this Patch Adams movie. Do any of you remember that? And in, in this one movie with Patch Adams, the doctor began looking at medicine in a different way and said something like, I, I want to have a place where I'm not just treating the disease, but where I'm treating the person. And Ken said to me, that, that transforms, gives new joy to my life, even as a follower of Jesus, that my calling is not just to go in and focus on a disease, but really to, to bless and to treat the entire person. Because you and I know, don't we, that, that uh, if you have a, a disease, you're not going to experience everything you want to have in life. It always keeps us, even a cold is troubling to us. So we want to get rid of that, and God can heal from any kind of disease. But you know you can get rid of the disease and still not have a life. You can get rid of the disease and not really be experiencing the shalom of God, Right? So what Jesus will do is he'll treat the person, and that's what he does in this story too. I mean, he could have just got rid of the disease and left. But there, there was something more that he wanted to have happen. And as Ken was talking about this, I started thinking that's what Jesus did. He didn't do things in this man's life the way that this man probably would have asked him to do it. I mean, spitting in his eyes, that's probably not a choice that you'd make. Last night, Preston Howard in the service says, Pastor, I don't want you to spit in my eye. I said, if you were blind, you might be okay with it. He said, okay, if I'm blind, then do it. But in general, that's not how we would choose. But he does things different from what we might ask, right? And especially, he does it in a different timetable. I mean, he could have healed in a moment, but he does it over a a process, a, a stage. So sometimes there are things happen in our lives we can't figure out what he's doing and why he's doing it that way. But, but what he says to us is, I treat you, I love you, I'm remaking you. And there's something he wants to do in us, and then even as others watch through us. Boy, you can tell when Ken talked about that, it grabbed my heart to things I hadn't seen before. So that's the first thing I want you to see today. God gives us experiences of him so we can share it with others. And he places us in a church family. I just said, we've got to get close to one another. Uh, You need to find not only the service here, but a small group where you can study the Bible and pray with one another. You need need to find a place. Go through the connect sign. You see right there that connect sign. Some people will help you to find a place of serving so that when you do this, and I think I wrote it out, because God places us in a community. And when we spend time with one another and we seek God together, humbly and gratefully, you and I will see more of God than we otherwise would see. God uses others to help us to see Him. The second lesson. Aren't you glad I didn't have three points? Maybe not. Maybe not. Second. I just want to tell you, and this is the hope-filled message. God is ready to work in us more than once. God will keep touching our lives. When you come back to church, I keep praying. You'll hear God's voice. Surrender to Him. He'll keep working in you and me until we see Him as He is.
and until we become what he made us to be. Hallelujah. And when you read verses 23 to 25, it's with this vivid detail. Mark describes Jesus whisking this man away. And I had so many people, why did he do that? Probably the same thing he did in chapter 7. He, this man had always been sort of a spectacle. And, every, and he wanted him to know, I'm going to deal with you personally. I'm going to deal with you personally. He pulls him away. He spits into his eyes to heal them. Meets only partial success. Oh, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Or do I see trees and they look like people walking? Anyway, I don't see right. And it's the only miracle in the entire Bible that happens in stages. So when you read this thing, you wonder, why did Jesus do it? There's some people who say he, he, he botched it up the first time. It's, it has confused students for many, many years. So I'll just tell you, when you read this story in the context of the whole of the Gospel of Mark, I think you see something so powerful because Jesus so often did things that force us to think. Why did he do it that way? It, it forces us to think more deeply about this. This was not just going to be a man being healed. There's something more. It's a true healing story. But I'll tell you, Jesus would so often take something and we'd see it right here and it points to something much bigger than itself. Uh, so this was a miracle, but it was also a parable. And it was a parable talking to a much, much deeper truth that I, I want you to grab hold of. You know, because Jesus would call his miracles, his words for it was, was a sign. And you know what a sign does? All right, I told you I want you to connect. So there's a sign. The, the sign's not the big thing. The big thing is there are people there under the sign or on the other side of the sign will help you to find a way to connect with other people. You see, the sign points to something beyond itself, or maybe a better illustration, especially if we have a raging forest fire here in Southern California. David, sometimes we do. So you find these exit signs. Now, I'm telling you, if a fire begins happening inside this place, you don't just look up there and say, boy, I like that sign. That's what I wanted. It's what that sign points to, right? The exit, the place to get to safety. And so Jesus would do a sign, and often people think the miracle's the big thing. But really, the big thing is what it points to. And what I think it points to is this. I'm going to do it in this way and this time, so that you will always know that when you feel spiritually blind, you will always know that I'm not done with you yet. And I am willing to keep entering in and touching your life whenever you come, until you are all that you should be. So I've written down this. Just listen to this and see what you think. So God does not abandon us in our blindness. He doesn't abandon us in our sinful ways. God is long-suffering with us. He, we make him suffer. Amen? But he'll do it for a long time. So I think Jesus does this miracle at this time and in this way so that we will always know that he doesn't give up on us. That where we open up our hearts and our lives to him, he is ready to come in. And he's ready to touch you again and again and again with his healing grace. And then he goes on. The reason why I'm so sure that this is why he's doing it is it goes on in the rest of this story. And in verse 27, you can see chapter 8, he begins telling them, he said, people are talking to me about this. Who do they say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah, and still others say you're one of the prophets. And then the, the very personal thing, but what about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. 
And I know this sounds like Peter saw it clearly, right? I tell you, he did not. Read the rest of the story. Immediately, he begins to rebuke Jesus. He sees something. But it's like Jesus is a tree walking around. You see, it's a a parable pointing to this sort of thing. He didn't see everything yet. But the promise is there that Jesus will keep touching. He won't give up on this Peter or the other disciples until they're able to see and go out and tell people, you too can see because if there's hope for me, there's hope for anyone. Do you? Do you see it? Now, the third point I was going to make, I'll I'll just at least let you know where we're going to be headed because the whole rest of this section of Mark uh, drives it home. Do you know the main reason why the disciples stayed so blind to Jesus? You'll, You'll be able to read about it. It's because they took everything he did and they turned it inward on themselves. You'll see three times in this section, Jesus said, I have come and I must suffer and I must die for you. And the very next thing, rebuke him. No suffering, no death. If we have to follow somebody who's going to die, might be bad news for us. Peter, I have come to suffer for you so that you can find a life. I must die in your place. And the very next thing, chapter 9. But but which one of us will be the greatest when you get there to Jerusalem and set up a kingdom there? Chapter 10, third time. I have come more specific than ever before. I will be spat upon. I will be flogged. I will be put to death on a cross. I will be killed. Though I will rise again. And the very next phrase, but which one of us will be on your right and which will be on your left? (laughs) The biggest problem in our seeing God and our growth with God and our getting better was for them self-centeredness. Jesus would keep saying, no, you find a real life when you serve others. We know that's true. When we just live for ourselves and consume everything's on ourselves, we're not really alive. Have you ever noticed that whenever God uses you to bring some joy or blessing to somebody else, don't you feel more alive? That's when we really that's what we were made for. But what happens is Jesus says that and we immediately come back, but what about me? What about my healing? What what about my losses? What about my brokenness? Jesus, what do I get out of this? That's what they did. We don't have that problem, right? Here. So I wrote this for us. I contend that this, this tendency to turn things toward ourselves is still the greatest problem we have in our walks with God. Jesus will keep insisting that we find life when we are ready to be the least of all and to give our lives in service to others. But I'm telling you, when you and I just take everything and focus it inward, all of our eyes are turned inward. We don't see Jesus, even if he's standing right in front of us. But he doesn't give up on you anyway, or me. I I love, in spite of their self-centeredness and their blindness, you're going to see it. It's so powerful. It's so hope-giving that Jesus never gave up on them. And this story tells us, I'll come in and, and, and touch you if you will just let me touch you. I I think the place where it really begins is the way we answer this question he asked this man, where he said, after the first touch, do you see anything? Uh, And the man had to confess, I don't really yet. 
It, it begins with us being honest enough to say, I know there's more about you, God, that I should experience. I know that there's more about you that, should, that I should see that I haven't yet. I've been keeping things to myself. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that what if he had just said, um, oh, yeah, I see everything just fine. Then, let me see that. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher then this man would have gone around the rest of his life cutting down people and talking to tree trucks. <laughs> Wish I could preach like that. So the call on us and my to yours, to you, is to be honest and say to the Lord, I'll give you some words, but please try to put these in, into your own words. I still don't think I have fully understood everything about you, Lord. Or maybe, I know I'm still putting myself in your place. I'm still making everything all about me. Lord, I need to see right. And I see from your word that to see right, I've got to get my eyes off myself and onto you. And to own who I am, that you had to die for me. That when you're on that cross, you're bearing my sins, and yet you're willing to do it out of mercy. I've never seen mercy like that. I don't know if you pray like this. You can tell this out of my life. But however the Lord leads you, just give yourself afresh to Jesus, that kind of honesty of who you are, and then looking and saying, this is who you are, is the beginning of that fresh touch of healing from the Lord. One of the best illustrations I've ever seen of this, I learned from him a lot, was... Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who was taken in Nazi Germany and thrown into prison. And we often think of him, he's a strong German man. He had it all nailed. But he had it all nailed only because he kept coming back for a fresh touch of God's healing. And in one of his prayers from a prison, look at how he prayed. Who am I? A hypocrite. A contemptible weakling. There's something in me like a beaten army fleeing disorder. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. But whoever I am, you know, O God, I am yours.